Hi loves, we're on chapter 18, and I think I know what this is going to be about. It's called Sisters and Sacrifice. Skye stood at the window in her bedroom, staring out into the cold rain. It was perfect for the coldness in her heart, and the coldness in her feet, and her hands, and everything except her stomach, which instead of feeling cold felt seasick. All this discomfort was because soon her father would be driving her to school, where Jane would help her don the rainbow costume and makeup. And soon after that, she would be walking onto the stage, where she would proceed to make a buffoon of herself. No, she would be worse than a buffoon. She would be pathetic. The audience, all 400 of them, the teachers, her family, they would all feel sorry for her. Even the rest of the cast would feel sorry for her. Already, that afternoon at dress rehearsal, Pearson, who knew nothing about acting and cared less, had given her tips on line delivery. And Melissa! Skye was sure she'd seen a hint of pity in Melissa's eyes. To be pitied by Melissa Pattonod was beyond mortification. Skye turned away from the window and fell onto her bed. Well, at least one person wouldn't be there to pity her. Aunt Claire. Business obligation was keeping her in Connecticut that evening. She'd apologized on the phone to Skye, not understanding that Skye didn't want anyone there at all, then even sent a large basket of flowers with a note. Sorry, I miss your Sorry I'll miss your play. See you tomorrow for the soccer game. Skye thought longingly of tomorrow in that soccer game. Even though it was with Melissa and her Cameron hardware team, it would be heaven compared to tonight. And after the game would be anything she wanted for the whole weekend and nothing at all to do with Aztecs or plays for the rest of her life. If only time travel were possible. She would jump right now to tomorrow's soccer game and to heck with the space-time continuum. How could such a simple thing as a play terrify her so? She'd never been this frightened. Not when she was five and rode Tommy's skateboard over the big ramps Nick had built. Not two summers ago at the beach when she took a raft so far past the waves that she had to be towed back to shore by the lifeguard. Not even dangling off the Quigley Woods Bridge last spring with Jane holding onto her ankles so that she could re retrieve a soccer ball stuck on the rocks below. She would do any of those things a hundred times and more if it would keep her from playing Rainbow. But nothing could keep her from playing Rainbow. Unless... Unless she lied and said she was too sick to go on. She did feel sick, after all. It wasn't as though the play couldn't go on without her. Someone could simply read the part in her place. They'd do a better job than she could, even after all her practice. Would it really hurt anyone if she stayed home? Would it be so wrong? There was a knock on the door and her father came in carrying a tray of food. I know you didn't want any supper, he said. I don't, nor had she wanted any lunch or breakfast. She hadn't eaten since the day before and felt so peculiar, she thought she might never eat again. Nonetheless, you can use some food before your big performance as Rainbow. By the way, have I told you how much I like that name? In Latin, it means pluvius arcus. Pluvius being an adjective meaning rainy, and arcus meaning, of course, curve or arch. Pluvius, by the way, also made it into our language as pluvial. He stopped. Sorry, you're not in the mood for an etymology lesson. It was interesting, though. No, it wasn't. Have some dinner. Food is good for the nerves. I'm not hungry. 
honest. Then how about I leave the food here? And if you get hungry in the next few minutes, you try to stuff something down. He put down the tray and turned to go. Thanks, Daddy. But wait, I have a question. Is Marianne coming tonight? No, she isn't. I hope you're not disappointed. No, I'm glad. This was the nicest thing she'd ever heard about Marianne. I wouldn't want this play to be the first impression she gets of me. Skye, I don't think you're going to be as bad as you think you are. You have no idea how bad I am. But I have another question. She was grasping at her last straw. Her father was the most honest man she knew. If he would give her a loophole, however small, she would take it. Is deceit always dishonorable? Even a tiny bit that doesn't hurt anyone? Heavens, daughter, that's a question for a philosopher, not a botanist. I'm serious. All right. He thought for a moment. No, deceit is not always dishonorable. For example, lying to save an innocent life can be honorable. Is there an innocent life at stake here? Besides mine? She smiled to show she was kidding, but it wasn't much of a smile. Then I'd have to say broadly that even a tiny bit of deceit is dishonorable when it's used for selfish or cowardly reasons. Does that answer your question? Yes, I guess it does. If the only loophole would be to act cowardly, and though when it came to being a rainbow, she absolutely was a coward through and through, she wouldn't give in to it. Could you please tell Jane I'm almost ready to leave? That's my girl, he said. Odechi, she interrupted him. Daddy, I love you and I appreciate your advice, but I just can't bear any Latin right now. No, I don't blame you, he kissed her. I'll get the car ready. Skye stuffed her rainbow costume and makeup into a bag and followed her father downstairs. Her fate was sealed, and from that moment, her determination to go through the play wouldn't waver. In the car, she clutched her bag and went over the lines and stage directions with Jane, speaking so quickly they finished the whole play and were, staring, and were starting again by the time they reached Wildwood. She kept it up, muttering maniacally as they dashed through the rain into the school and down the hall toward the auditorium. Thank you, Coyote, for your gift of food. Because the rain will not come. We are close to starving. Ignore Melissa and look at Pearson. When he nods at me, point out for the audience. What news do you bring from the outside world? And he goes on and on about soldiers. And then I say, look, the programs. Jane waved several red-covered booklets she'd snatched from the table in the lobby. Mr. Gabell had mentioned there'd be programs for that night. But Skye had been too anxious to worry about such details. Jane handed her one now. But Skye just stuck it in her costume bag and kept walking. And then I say, Surely the soldiers won't come to our little village looking for sacrificial victims. Melissa gasps with fear, and Pearson puts his hand on her shoulder. But don't you want to see the Sisters in Sacrifice page? Jane handed over another program, this one, open to the middle. Here is what Skye read. Sisters in Sacrifice. An original play by Skye Penderwick. Jane! She stopped dead in the middle of the hall. They put my name right there, as the author. Several cast members rushed by, giggling. Jane stepped in front of Skye to keep them from seeing the look of dread on her face. Of course they put your name as author. What did you think? She whispered. 
not adding that she'd give anything to have her own name there. I didn't think, moaned Skye. I just didn't think. Deceit upon deceit, Jane. Deceit multiplied by the number of people who read this program. How much deceit does that make altogether? My honor will be lower than nothing. My honor will be in the negative numbers. More cast members, including Pearson, appeared at the end of the hall. Jane looked around for a place to hide a disint disintegrating sister. There, just a few more steps, and they could both disappear into the girls' bathroom. Half shoving and half pulling, she managed to get Skye hidden before Pearson could arrive and see the grievous state of she who assumed to be Rainbow. Safely inside the bathroom, Skye slumped against the tile wall and dropped her bag on the floor. Black yarn wig, crafted lovingly by the Sisters in Sacrifice Costume Committee, tumbled out onto the floor. Skye groaned at the sight of it and clutched her stomach. Do you want me to cross out Skye in all the programs? asked Jane. I could change it to Miss, an original play by Miss Penderwith. That works, right? Even for you, Jane, that's a stupid idea. Sorry, 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 it's not your fault, it's my fault. If I'd done my own homework, I wouldn't be in this mess. Swear we'll never switch homework again, swear. Even in so dire a situation, Jane wasn't going to swear to that. There were still years of school to get through, and she was counting on Skye for at least trigonometry and physics. Try to get a hold of yourself. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll feel better once you get to the dressing room and put on your makeup. The dressing room? Skye grabbed Jane's arm. Listen to me. I'll act in this play, which will possibly ruin my life, but I will not put on a costume and makeup in the same room as Melissa Pattonod. I'll do it here instead. Go tell Mr. Cabell where I am, okay? And then come back to help me. I don't know if I should leave you alone, Skye. You look a little weird. Of course I look weird. I'm close to a nervous breakdown. Now go. No, wait. I can't remember my first speech. Yes, Grassflower, though I wish we did not have to rush into marriage, perhaps some day in the future girls will be allowed to stay single for many more years or even forever without social opprobrium. <gasps> I got it. Now go. Jane went, and Skye staggered over to the mirror. She looked like death. She didn't care. However, since that day is not yet nigh, I am glad that I have found a boy to love for then I will be happy in my marriage. Then stupid Melissa says, I too have found a boy to love. Who is yours? She rummaged through her bag and pulled out a stick of red grease paint. I say, you tell me first. Then Melissa says, no, you tell me first. She drew a wavering line of red across her forehead. Okay, I think I remember the rest of that scene. What is the line I have so much trouble with later? The one about innocent blood? Another line of red, this one under her right eye. Sky blinked, for her image in the mirror was a little blurry now. For I will spill my maze. No. I will spill my blood to bring the maze. No. The rain! She needed a line of red under her left eye, but the blurriness was getting worse, for she was having trouble seeing what she was doing. For I will spill my blood to... 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 Now there was a strange rushing sound in her ears. Suddenly dizzy, Skye clutched at the sink, but it managed to slip away from her. That's odd, she thought. I seem to be falling down. Then all went black. 
Rosalind pulled on an old sweater with a small hole in one sleeve. She could have worn one of the sweaters Aunt Claire had given her, but this one was good enough for sixth grade performance night. No one there would be looking at her, unlike last year when she'd been the maidservant in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Of course, the maidservant hadn't had many lines, just lots of yes sir and no sir. Anna had much more to say, and a great chance to scream as Mr. Hyde's first victim. Tommy had the most lines of all, for he was the star. What an excellent villain. She stopped, frowning, unwilling to give Tommy any praise, even for something that happened long before his trilby phase. He was as pawn scum to her now, just as, apparently, she was as pawn scum to him. Since their trilby argument, he no longer even looked at her, let alone said hello. Not at school, not on Gardan Street, and especially not when he was with Trilby. Perhaps pond scum was too good for him. Rosalind ran a brush through her hair and then headed downstairs. Her father, back from dropping off Skye and Jane, was helping Batty into her yellow raincoat and hat. Iantha was there too, with Ben under one arm and his baby in his baby seat under the other, for they were riding along with the Penderwicks. I'm going to walk to school, Daddy, said Rosalind, kissing Ben's fat cheek. Are we taking your spot in the car? asked Iantha. Yes, it would be a tight squeeze in the car with two car seats. But mostly, Rosalind loved walking in the rain. Grabbing her raincoat and an umbrella, she left before anyone could argue with her and swung cheerfully down Gardan Street, leaning into the wind, hearing the rain beat against the umbrella. By the time her father drove by a few minutes later, she was humming. What was it? Oh, yes. Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Her mother had sung it whenever she walked in the rain, and she'd do this funny little dance. Step, step, hop, hop, slide. Step, step, hop, hop, slide. Another car roared up beside her and stopped. The window was rolled down, and Nick grinned out at her. Rosalind wished she hadn't been hopping and sliding right then. Jump in, he said. We'll give you a ride to the school. Rosalind peered into the car, and there was Tommy next to Nick, staring straight ahead. I like walking, she said. Come on, it's pouring. As long as you don't mind a detour, we've got to pick up Trilby. Only then did Tommy turn his head, but his eyes slid past her as though the most fascinating thing in the world was just over her right shoulder. Oh, how dare he ignore her, just as if they hadn't known each other since they were in diapers. Rosalind angrily shook her umbrella, spraying rain all over Nick. Why exactly is the magnificent Trilby blessing the sixth grade performance night with her Nicholas, with her magnificent presence? Nice attitude, Rosie, said Nick, his grin getting bigger. You're not the only one with a sister in the sixth grade. Tonight you'll be treated to the smooth sound of Elena Ramirez's saxophone solo. Oh, she wished she were dead. But you can still have a ride. No thanks. Rosalind watched the Geiger brothers drive away, and then set off again toward the school, without humming, and certainly without dancing. It seemed now like such a long walk to the school, and she wondered what was so great about walking in the rain anyway. She thought, I am lower than pond scum. And then at last there was a school ahead of her, and there, thank goodness, was Anna, waiting by the big front doors. Your family is saving us seats, said Anna. Your neighbor looks pretty tonight, all sort of curly and wild. Iantha? I didn't notice. 
Anna took a better look at Rosalind's face. What's wrong? I hate Tommy Geiger. Rosalind stamped her foot as she took off her raincoat, which was not easy to do. I hate him. I hate him. You might want to keep your voices down. A group of third grade girls was hovering nearby, fascinated by the drama. Turning her back on them, Rosalind whispers, and I don't care who he dates. Neither do I. Let's go sit down. Rosalind allowed Anna to lead her into the auditorium. The last time they'd been there together was for their sixth grade graduation ceremony. Tommy had worn one red sock and one blue sock. I really do hate him, she said as they reached the row where her family was sitting. I really do believe you. Anna pushed her into the seat next to her father and then sat down on the end. Next to Mr. Penderwick was Batty, then came Iantha with Ben in her lap, and then an empty seat waiting for Jane. Iantha, Rosalind now noticed, did have an air of trembling beauty that night. Or maybe it was her halo of red hair. Rosalind savagely wished she had red hair. Or green eyes. Or something different from what she had. Or maybe it was that she wished she'd lived somewhere else. Like on another street. Or even better, that Tommy lived on another street. You're soaking wet, said Mr. Penderwick. We saw Nick and Tommy getting into their car and hoped they'd offer you a ride. They did, said Rosalind, but I refused their offer. Oh, have you and Tommy had a falling out? I noticed he hasn't been eating our food lately. I guess you could call it a falling out. It isn't Rosalind, Mr. Penn, chimed in Anna. It's Tommy who's gone off the deep end. Rosalind wished she'd kept her mouth shut about the Geigers being intolerable, for her father was still looking at her so kindly, and she wasn't in the mood to explain about Tommy and Trilby, especially since she just spotted them taking seats across the aisle and four rows back. Martin, you remember how peculiar 12-year-old boys can be, said Iantha. He swung away from Rosalind, distracted and she sent Iantha a silent thanks for the rescue, then slumped down into her seat and stared straight ahead at the empty stage, determined not to set her eyes again on the, yes, intolerable Tommy Geiger for the rest of the evening, if not for the rest of her life. Which meant she didn't notice Mr. Gabell coming toward them until he leaned over to tap Mr. Penderwick on the shoulder. Martin, he said, there's been a bit of a problem. Mr. Mr. Penderwick was already on his feet. Sky? Jane? It's Sky. Unfortunately, she fainted while putting on her makeup. Fainted? Rosalind grabbed Anna's hand for support. Is she all right? She's recovering. But it is in no shape for acting tonight, said Mr. Gabell. Oh, and Martin, she said to tell you that it wasn't deceit, but a real faint. Of course it was, poor, poor girl. I'll go see her. Actually, she asked for someone else, said Mr. Gabell, and then turned to Iantha. Ms. Aronson, Skye says you've had experience with fainting and wonders if you'd mind helping out. I'm happy to. If it's all right with you, Martin. Yes, of course, and she's asked for you, but I hate to impose. Don't be silly. Iantha stood up and handed Ben over to him. I'll send back word as soon as she's feeling better. Yes, thank you, Iantha, thank you. It's true that I know nothing about fainting. But what about the play, Mr. Gabell asked Rosalind. Who's going to be Rainbow? We're still working on that, but I believe we found a substitute. Wish us luck.